He went to every department, I mean the help desk, the engineers, the server jockeys, everybody and said, you know what, from this point on, everybody in this company works for sales, period. What's shaking? Welcome to the All In Podcast. Hey, I'm Rick Jordan, your host, and today I'm here with a fellow cybersecurity amazing genius, Rafi Jemgochian. What's shaking, Rafi? Hey, Rick, how are you doing? Man, I'm having an awesome day, and I'm excited That's to have awesome. you on too. We're going to dive into some here. really, really good things today. You know, and here's a, I'm going to start here. You, know, you started this business of yours, right? Your your MSSP, managed security service provider back in 2008 in the middle of a recession what was going on in your head to start this thing right in the middle of a big huge recession it doesn't make sense right absolutely not uh and especially because uh we came out of investment companies i was doing it for uh for investment firms and uh they were falling left and right so uh it was kind of an interesting time to start ended up being a blessing ended up being a blessing for a lot of reasons that's awesome. What what were you thinking, you know, go, going into this thing? I mean, it's because you had kids, you still have kids, but they were a lot younger at that time, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have four boys. Uh, my youngest at the time was four years old. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we had, you know, I was a single earner. We was, it was all us. We had started, I had left my corporate job in 2006 and to help a small investment firm start up. And Part of that was in the middle of that, towards the beginning of 2008, I joined a, a startup to help them build their professional services group. We didn't exactly see eye to eye. And then uh, by the time November rolled around, hedge fund markets started falling apart. Uh, they let me go. And I said, all right, time to burn the chips and uh, start my own thing. And, and that's kind of how we started. It was out of the mother of necessity, so to speak. That's an interesting concept, burning the ships. I've heard that a lot over the past couple of months. Because uh, coming out of, uh, well, I guess we're still in the pandemic, right? Or at least the repercussions, you know, the third wave, whatever. And when I think about that, I'm really talking like economic aftershocks. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking the virus when I speak in that nature. And it coming from, you know, being in IT and, and cybersecurity myself, a lot of internal IT people are being displaced by this because corporations, as you're talking about, are trimming their budgets. And we're going to see a lot of coronapreneurs that, that come out of this, you know, it's another, it's another huge recession, so to speak, even though the Dow just broke 30,000 for the first time ever the other day, that's great, but it doesn't mean that jobs are still suffering. It's a exactly. different story. Exactly. So and it's interesting. I mean, those that I know don't necessarily say that it's for everybody to start their own thing, just because you may have technical chops and all of a sudden I'm going to, you know, hang a flag and become an MSP. I think the risks are very different now than they were 12 years ago as well. You didn't have the ransomware strains going around. You didn't have these other MSPs getting uh, cracked into. Um, it's a very different world. And uh, I think there's less tolerance to be able to figure the business out. Uh, I, I had a little bit of leeway to help get things going in the beginning. And I think I was fortunate for that. 
No doubt. I mean, we, you know, everyone says that an IT person's best friend is Google, right? <laughs> Just to try to, to, to make your way through things. You're right though, man, it is a different world because, you know, I've been in this industry for a little over 20 years now. I cut my chops for a huge branch rollout. I was a project manager for Merrill Lynch and it was 120,000 workstations and 15,000 servers. I just started right in the thick of the enterprise space, getting these things up and going. And this, this was 1999. And during that time, though, and even through most of the next decade, you really could kind of just go into things and try to figure them out and work your way through. Because there wasn't much fundamentally that changed in our industry as far as technology, or at least the protocols, how everything talked to each other. For at least a decade, everything was still pretty much the same, you know, and everyone's like, oh, what about the different OSs and operating, you know, sure, we had Windows NT went into, you know, w w everything else with, uh, with Windows 2000 and 2003 and 2008. That's great, but everything still really talked the same. <laughs> Especially right. and in fact, in once we broke through like 1995, so I, I started in IT in 95 after doing some engineering and TCPIP was just entering the corporate workforce. So pretty much since then, that hasn't changed much. And the fundamentals are really the same. And we started building, we were just connecting that investment firm to the internet for the first time, first building air gap networks. I'm sure you know what that is. Uh, and then, and then eventually building out firewalls and what have you. And it wasn't until, you know, late 1990s uh, that, you know, that really kind of pushed the difference, but that really hasn't changed much since then. Business has changed. Uh, the uh, bandwidth has changed and the tools have changed, uh, but the fundamentals really haven't changed. No doubt, except for the liability as you're talking now, because uh, yeah, that's the biggest change and the biggest shift that I've seen too. Because uh, I remember, you know, 12 years ago when I started this gig that you know, this year we're going public, which is awesome. I'm excited for that. But for you. Well, thank awesome. you. <laughs> but 12 years ago when it was just me, you know, I, I remember that. And the first thing I did, man, was actually go out and get my general liability in errors and omissions insurance as a business owner. And I could not believe man, when I was in a competitive scenario, because we're talking the liability today now, right? Because we didn't have compliance issues. HIPAA wasn't even really a thing back at that point in time, you know, let alone PCI compliance or any of these other regulatory bodies that existed today, weren't really even a thing back then. And even though I carried the proper insurance, it still blows my mind, man, how many IT firms, you know, and if they're a one man shop, whatever, but they don't carry the proper coverage on themselves. And many still don't. And many still don't. And it's, that's a frightening point. That was, and I was exactly the same way 12 years ago when we started, that was like one of the first things we did when I first started talking to other MSPs uh, in the channel uh, and still just not trying to learn what the industry was. I knew IT, at least I had, you know, that I grew up in that way, but I, the, the whole MSP world was a brand new thing. And learning that stuff, that was the, the, one of the first things we did was, was get our, you know, and, and get, get our uh, business liability uh, all squared away because the last thing you wanted is a, is a lawsuit. And we've been, we've been, uh, we've been threatened before, you know, Hey, I'm down, you know, I'm going to sue you. And it's like, okay, you know, call my insurance guy. It's like, yeah, well, you're covered. Don't worry about that. So just fix the problem. So that, those, those are kind of the early things that you didn't know. I mean, I knew I had the insurance, but I didn't know I was really that protected until, you know, push came to show. So, uh, 
especially now with with uh, particularly with uh, not only MSPs getting dinged and then clients getting dinged with ransomware, uh, cyber liability coverage is now becoming more and more important. It's scary to think that there's a lot of guys out there that can go out, they hang a shingle, they call some people, they get some business, but they're really not only uh, putting themselves at risk, but they're putting their clients at a lot of risk. Too. No doubt. Even just this year, I know that our cyber liability insurance, which is now, it's a rider that's underneath everything else. Actually, I think we have a separate company for cyber liability that only handles that now because of that we are a cybersecurity provider. Even that policy is multiple five digits to carry now. So when you're talking about, you know, if, if you're displaced this year, you know, you, you were the IT guy in a corporation or maybe part of a team, a help desk team, you have the technical chops, but the business side is completely different. So is it right for you? Maybe it could be, but it also might not be just, there's a lot of things that you have to consider these days. I mean, even just the other day, actually it was just yesterday and this happens once or twice a year. You know, and my assistant who's with me now, he's been around and hasn't experienced this yet this year, we were served papers by a process server, guy showing up at the door with the badge, you know, and it's like, Rick, we're getting sued. And it's not, but this happens because of the relationships that we have with our clients. We are always brought in as a third party to lawsuits between our clients and somebody else that's suing them or they're suing one of their other relationships that they have for us to produce documents or electronic emails or, or whatever else that it is to help support the case as a third party. And yep, even we're with going that, through that right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going the same thing right now. And exactly that reco- right. requires more expense too, because I don't touch it. As a third party, you can have attorneys that can handle that of yourself. And it's usually a couple thousand dollars just to have my attorney jump on this to navigate that and tell me exactly what I should produce and what I should not produce to cover my own butt but I'm not part of the suit. I'm just a third party in this. So there's all these things you just never think of. I, I didn't know 12 years ago. You know, <laughs> I do now. What are some of the surprises you found out just being a business owner and saying, you know what, I'm going to start an MSP, a managed service provider. What are some crazy things that you're like, wow, I never thought this would ever hit me? Well, I mean, just the, just rolling back to in the beginning, uh, just pricing, I had no idea what to do, you know? So, you know, we, we made it up in the beginning. We kind of said, all right, this is how much money I was on my own. This is how much money I make. Uh, I have two clients now. Let them split the cost and, and we'll start there. And, that's, and then I backed into some sort of pricing scheme. That was just kind of the, the beginnings of understanding it. Then not knowing you know, what tools were available to us and that learning that process. Those were interesting. But by and far, it's probably finances, really understanding your numbers and getting really detailed with it and being intimate with what your numbers are. Uh, that's a big change from where we were 12 years ago to where we are today. Today, we have a command of our numbers. It's very important to us. Uh, we live and die by it. And now, um, you know, it gives us a way to decide whether or not every, you know, every business is not good business. It's sometimes you have to say, yeah, that's not good for us. So we'll walk away. That was the biggest surprise is that in the beginning we were taking anything that came our way. And then now we're like, no, not so much. I understand that. I remember the days to where I thought, and I wish I had learned this lesson sooner along what you're talking about is that it really, I mean, it matters, but it shouldn't matter how much cash is actually in your bank account. Because I remember that's how I gauged how comfortable I was, you know, when it was just me or whether I just had maybe just one or two other employees back in the beginning just looking, it's like, well, I've got enough to make payroll. 
you know, c- coming up, that's great. You know, understanding that as an MSP, recurring revenue hitting the first of every month, and I could just mentally gauge cash flow. But there's a threshold that you pass to where you just literally cannot do that anymore. And it's not even the seven figure threshold. It's really probably right about half that, or maybe 300K to where you just have that to say, That sounds about right. Yeah. That's about, that about right. <laughs> Once you reach the $300,000 mark in revenue, it's like, well, I really need to plan things out now. You know, and, mm-hmm. and project cash flow rather than just looking at my bank account balance. And I wish I would have learned that even prior. And you can make better long-term decisions that way too. So that, okay, maybe something get you into the paid the expense for now, but it's going to save you money and time and, and a headache down the road. You can make those investments. It's harder to make those investments if you don't have good command of your numbers. Sure, absolutely, especially the financials. And I, I've been a part of a lot of masterminds in our industry too. I mean, if you name it, I've been a part of it. And I think this is the one thing that most are missing too, because there's so much focus on sales and marketing. But then the only real way to cross that threshold between being just a one or two man shop and actually growing a real business is to take command of your numbers and really understand the financials of where you're going. Yeah. Then you can do things like operational maturity. You can mature your operations when you have those that command. You can understand where you need to make investments in people. Uh, otherwise, how do you know when to make your next hire? You don't unless you know what your numbers are and what your profitability is on a per client basis and even maybe even a per um, you know, business type basis, you know, we got into a lot of different things, you know, we were doing website design, we were doing all this other stuff. It's like, yeah, this isn't really, this isn't work that we really need to take on to be, uh, to be successful. We don't have to say yes to everything. We can find partners to do that stuff and be in the middle of it without having to necessarily do everything. And, uh, without understanding how much, especially labor costs takes away from your profitability. Uh, that's the key. Yeah, I'm enjoying our conversation, man, because we're really diving into what it means to actually have a business. I mean, any business, period. But uh, I, when you started this, you know, and your kids were between the ages of four and 12. I heard you right, didn't I? Between four and 12? That's awesome. right. Time, yeah. I, I know that you were looking at establishing really something to be multi-generational. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we, we, it was, you know, my dad's in the computer business, you know, even though we didn't really work together, he was in a different world. Um, it was something that we wanted to do that my dad, we couldn't scale that beyond him. So he was a business of one. He was always going to be a business of one. And the thing that I learned both from him and my mother, uh, both business owners, both entrepreneurs is that, uh, if you wanted a real business and not just buying a job or, or making a job, you really have to, uh, structure it in, in that, that way. And so, but we wanted to make this a multi-generational business. We wanted to see build something that we can, you know, there, there are companies that want to build to sell, right? That's one, that's one valuation process. That's one uh, path. And that's certainly uh, a path, potential path for us. Uh, but we decided that we we're going to say, look, we're going to have, we want to build something that besides feeding our specific family, that's also going to be able to fit, you know, feed our son's families if they, if they so want to. So if one or more of them want to get into the business, it's, it's going to be here for them to, uh, to continue, which is why, we didn't sell early on that we stayed as long as we did and uh, we're setting it up so that now as they're getting of age that they can get into it if they want to, that it's ready for them. Oh, that's cool. That's a good perspective too. It, it sounds like you're not actually saying like, 
hey, kids, this is going to be your job or you have to take over the family business. Oh, no, no. That's good. And in fact, right now, out of the four, so we, we have uh, one is out of school, two in school, uh, fourth in, in high school. Um, my The oldest right now did is into IT. He's actually... Uh, working for a competitor. We actually did that on purpose. We did not want him to work <laughs> for the company at first. Man, I want to high five you right now. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Friendly competitor for sure. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's something that we wanted to make sure that he didn't have the group think of the family that he got some other perspective. And so um, that was definitely one of their, and you know, his path and the guy knows, you know, he, the path is to eventually come back, come back home, so to speak. But that's certainly the case. The other two, uh, right now, they're on a different path. Uh, the youngest, who knows? You know, we'll, we'll we'll see how that how that how that shakes up. So one out of four, at least. Uh, so it looks like we we made the right decision at least so far. That's fun. That's a lot of fun. When they were that age, though, because I mean, you talk a little while back between the ages of four and twelve, and you're thinking, I'm going to build a multi generational business. Probably not the four year old, but did any of your other boys express that they had an interest in it that young? Uh, no, not that young. Uh, it definitely wasn't. I mean, they, they've been around technology just like I was as a kid. So it was always part of the things that were, um, that they were exposed to certainly. Um, but I think what they, at the very least more on the business side, I wanted to expose that to them rather than necessarily the technical, the technical they're going to get just being around, you know, nerdy nerdy dad, they're going to get that. And, uh, just generationally, they're going to get that. But I wanted to get wanted them to understand what the benefits of running running your own business is, and you know, for the most part, that's that's what we. Some of the benefits were I was around. I was able to be here when they need me to be here. I was able to coach soccer and spend time with them. You know, I served on their school boards. You know, those are the kinds of things we were able to do as in a corporate job working in IT in New York City uh, for an investment firm. I was going to work 14, 15 hour days and I wasn't going to see that, uh, that growth of theirs. And that was something really special. I think that came out of, uh, all that, which was a surprise to me, quite honestly, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, but it was a, definitely a, a nice surprise. Yeah, for sure. I know that's a big topic of interest too, because there's always the state of the MSP report that comes out every year, you know, from our friends over at Datto and they would, who they just had a public offering too, which is pretty intense and fun. The, but one thing I remember as far as the top five topics that, you know, our industry and probably I would say any entrepreneur is really important to them is work-life balance. And you're talking about that right now. I have my own views. I'm curious to hear a little bit more on yours because it seems like you structured this in a way to say, I'm going to be there for my kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I think work-life balance is kind of a myth a little bit. Uh, Amen. Yep. I, I, I don't know if I, that necessarily exists. I think the business is always there and the family is always there and you have to figure out a way to integrate the two. Um, I, I, you know, am I not, am I always 100% um, uh, present? Probably not as much as I'd like. It's something that I'm definitely working on more so now than, than I've had in the past, but you know, I think for the important stuff, I've, you know, that's, that's, what's really kind of the gear for me. So Especially now that we, you know, we, we closed our office, I'm going to say seven years ago, we decided to become a completely virtual team, oh, which fun. Helped, 
help set us up for this situation for sure. Yeah, you did this before um, the pandemic then is what you're talking exactly. about. Yeah. So we yeah. were already set up this way. Our communications were set up this way. Our team was working this way. So we were kind of already used to that. Uh, so the boys always knew that I was around, you know, that, and that, I think that's, that's, I, I, I think that's huge uh, from, for having both parents in the house all the time when they're, when they need it. Um, you know, I did my traveling for sure, you know, going to some uh, seminars and shows and what have you, but you know, I was around. So that's, that's kind of what, what we wanted to do. Yeah. Look, can we talk about those for a little bit? The seminars and the shows I go to them as well. And I'm a part of masterminds that are even not in the IT space now, because I, I sort of, you say broke out, right? Because I, I started looking outside the space because our space is very much kind of like a bubble, which is okay because everybody sort of relates to everyone within the space. That's fine. That's great. However, I learned so much, man, getting outside and just listening to people in real estate, listening to people in finance, listening to people in, I don't know, business credit, you know, that have these certain businesses that exist, you know, or even uh, virtual assistant firms, you know, I was able to talk with, with them and learn how to effectively and cost efficiently structure my workforce just by talking to somebody who has a VA firm, you know, and take the knowledge of all these other industries and plug them into what I was doing. And there's uh in our industry, there's some, there's like seminar junkies, man, from what oh, I've yeah. seen. <laughs> and I was that person. I was that person early on. I, I joined every group. I went to everything. I went to every meeting and you end up becoming one of these, like there are people who are uh, addicted to self-help books. It was almost like the same thing where you're just, you're reading and reading and reading, and you're not doing. And at some point it's like, I got to start doing. And so at the, I don't regret it because it allowed me to form my philosophy of business and how to run my company, but it also allowed, uh, uh, it also got in the way in, in many ways. So we had to, you know, we took a conscious effort to kind of trim a lot of that back. Um, in order for us to, to move forward, but you're hundred percent right. Uh, you need to get, uh, outside of that, just that bubble perspective of what goes on in the industry. I think sometimes that we tend to, uh, follow more than we can't, we should, because we don't listen to think people outside of our, our own work. I just started going through, I took our, I'm taking our business through, um, the clockwork, uh, process from oh, awesome. uh, McAllowitz. Yeah. So the cool thing about that, that, that process is that now I'm exposed to maybe about 40 other businesses going through the same processes at the same time. So we see, see what they're doing, what tools they're using and how they're, uh, so it's very, it's, it's very cool to see that. So it's not exactly a mastermind, like say, you know, I, I was in Vistage for a little while and, and some other things. Um, but it's, it's still get a, you can still get that collaboration from an outside perspective, which is really helpful. That's awesome. I, I love getting the perspective of everybody else around me because I like walking into a room and being the dumbest person in the room. You know, it's, it's great because people look to me now because I've got some poise when I'm on stage and you're a great, you're an articulate speaker too. When you can form two sentences together in our industry, it's like all of a sudden you become a god. You know? hey, English, English is my second language. I, yeah. I think I'm, okay. I'm impressed, man. But I, I don't say that arrogantly. It's just that I, I think a lot is lost. So we talk about sales and lead generation and marketing and everything else. But what about the social aspect of, of IT? The, what about the human side? Because not everything is servers and switches and everything else. You have to be relatable and approachable. 
And the, one of the things that kills me too is when I started getting outside the bubble and seeing how effectively other businesses and other industries were using social media and even different platforms like a podcast, <laughs> right? And, and seeing how those benefit. And I'm like, man, I'm missing out on so much. I got to get going on this. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You bring up the social aspect of it. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I believe that regardless of what level technician that you're hiring, put them on the help desk first. I think they should always start at the help desk. They should understand what your customer is going through and speak to your customers directly. Even if they're just going to be a server jockey or a network jockey, it doesn't matter. I think that my, when I got thrown into when I, my first IT job, uh, I would, we didn't really have a true help desk, but I had to go and interact with everybody from uh, the uh, people in the mailroom to the people on the trading floor to the upper suites and everybody in between. And that allowed me to kind of one, grow a personality, so to speak, but also be able to talk to anybody. And that's key. And it's not me. It's not me. I'm an introvert. I, you put me in a room, crowded people. I don't like doing that. Uh, I'd rather do this. I'd rather talk one-on-one with folks I'd rather, uh, you know, discuss things. I'd rather sit in my, uh, my room with my laptop, but it's, uh, it's, so I have to get out of my own way to do this kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's important to have that, that skill, even if it's not part of your regular job. For sure. I heard Robert Hershevek one time, and I guess he really upset his HR people in, in the Hershevek group when he walked in and he went to every department. I mean, the help desk, you know, the, the engineers, the server jockeys, everybody one day walked in and said, you know what, from this point on, Everybody in this company works for sales, period, <laughs> because he understands that there's always a conversation. There's always a social aspect of it. And I can't hire people that, I mean, even implementing, we've been doing uh, text messaging now for, I think, three years on our tickets, because I found that we were having trouble getting fast responses to the, the trouble tickets. From our client base, you know, when we were emailing and sending updates, if we couldn't reach them on the phone, because I've always had, uh, th this has been 10 years in the making, man. It's been like the two rules. Anytime there's a, there's a ticket that comes in, right? It's call first, duplicate, call first, duplicate. <laughs> the call first is the human side. And then the duplicate part, hey, guess what? It's also the human side. <laughs> You're asking that person to show you exactly what they're going through, what their pain is in that moment so you can have this compassionate moment with them to help them know that you are there for them. And that's the side. It's not just trying to fix an email problem or something like that. This person is frustrated and you're, you're there to be almost like their counselor in that moment to say, hey, I got you. That's the right. human and side. It, it also, and as a business owner, it helps because now you can talk to business owners directly. And I got, I, I have conversations with uh, the business owners at our clients that are especially longtime clients that have been with us for a dozen years that uh, they don't tell their own employees, you know, they don't have, they, they're, they're, they're that's those, those kind of, that's, that's the thing that I think, especially with somebody new, we were talking about that before these uh, coronavirus uh, I like that term um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that, uh, that are going to go out and start their own thing. If they don't have that experience, uh, get, get ready to actually have to open your mouth and talk to people. For sure. And now text messaging when we started that too, and that's almost replaced the phone call because that's, that's a, a mental barrier I almost had to coming from the phone call realm is that text messages are really seen as that phone call now. And they're actually sometimes even more effective because people will just look at their phone ring. I did it today. 
You know, it's like, I don't have the time to get into this conversation right now. I mean, that when I saw my phone ringing, but if somebody sends me a text message, man, they've got like 98% reply rates. It's, it's crazy. So when we, when we did a, a custom integration with the ticketing system, now we text back and forth with most of our clients and almost completely eliminated email messaging. With I'm, our taking client base. I'm taking that note. I'm taking that note. Man, our our resolution time is typically under 30 minutes every single month. And our response time is always single digits because of text messaging. Wow. Okay. That's powerful. It's, I'm it's, wondering how many other businesses can take that uh, that as well and, and use that as a, uh, as a competitive advantage. Oh, for sure. How many other service businesses that, that are not doing that today that can potentially do that? No doubt. And you know what, this wasn't a, a brilliant idea of Rick Jordan either. This was something that I took from another industry at the time. And I think it was, uh, I think it was T-Mobile, you know, because uh, we had an account with them for a little while and, and their business department, when they launched their like specialty business pods and all that, I could straight up like text message somebody in the pod and say, this is what I need, or this is the problem that I'm having. I'm like, I need to do this because this is pretty incredible. I can just send a text and I know that this person is on it and they'll get back to me almost pretty much just when it's fixed, you know, and I know I'd get a fast response. I didn't have to waste my time on hold. I didn't have to open up an email and explain a lot of things. I could even take a photo of what, or a screenshot of what was happening on my phone with the line issue or whatever, and send it over to them. And everything was just handled. Like, this is amazing. That's cool. I like that. I'm stealing that idea. Do it, man. Do it. <laughs> uh, where do you see, because there's a lot of things that have hit this year that everyone thinks that they're new cybersecurity threats that exist. And my personal opinion is that I really just feel that a lot of the threats were just more so accelerated. They were going to happen next year or the year after, but with the trend to working at home now, pretty much with everybody, things were just accelerated from where they were going to be a couple of years out regardless. Where do you see these oh, yeah. trends going next year? Yeah. I mean, for the, the, uh, the network perimeter, as we know, it has been disintegrating for quite some time. I, I couldn't say that that's necessarily just a, a new thing this year for sure. Um, and in fact, as we saw our clients evolve to start using more software as a service cloud, whatever you want to call it, uh, consuming services that were outside of their four walls. Uh, what was what you weren't no, you were no longer defending things that were inside those four walls. So we we started we took our security model and ripped it inside out, and such that let's a protect where the information is, and then let's protect the devices that connect to that information. So now it doesn't matter where that device is, and it doesn't matter where that information is. We you're you're now protected on both ends of it. And that was really kind of the trend that we had started, I would say, 2018, 2017-ish, uh, and really accelerated this year, uh, where, where now almost everything is done that way. So that's been what we saw. Now, in terms of the threats, those haven't changed a whole hell of a lot in the, in the last even 20 years, uh, even though they've only just created that recently. But the attackers do are doing the same thing. They're just now they're using the same con tools that we have to our exposure. So now, now we can, we should be able to use those things to defend ourselves a little bit better. Um, so there's a lot of things. I think identity is really the one thing that is probably a shift uh, from, uh, from the past where the uh, protecting the person's identity is 
uh, as critical as the, uh, the information because ultimately that identity is what gives you access to the information that you need. So protect the identity, protect the data, kind of everything else falls into place. For sure. That is definitely the shift. You know, I, I like how you said the network perimeter has been you know, just disintegrated, you know, blown up over the past couple of years. And it's, uh, it's exciting to see that too, because things are way more centralized on a focus of the data, where the data is at now and what type of data that it is. And that determines the security approach that you need. It's no longer geographic location. Yeah. So when we looked at, we used to look at in the financial services, you used to always look at data classification, right? You would look at what the data is. Is it, is it important? Is it secret? Is it confidential? You know, all these different levels, but it was really difficult, especially with unstructured data, like documents and emails to figure out what that is. And then you'd have to put your protections around it. It's a lot, a lot easier when you're saying, okay, this is where all my sales information is. My sales information is in Salesforce, say for example. And now you say, all right, my salespeople are accessing that information in Salesforce. I'm going to protect the identities of my salespeople. I'm going to, you know, do the multi-factors or the password list, whatever you, you know, mechanism you want to do to, to verify that the people are who they say they are, and then only give access to the information they need. Don't give them access to everything in the company. It's unnecessary. So it's a lot easier, I think, in some ways to do that now than it was uh, years ago when everything was in one inside one, you know, crunchy shell where everybody had a free for all. It makes our jobs a little bit easier and a little bit harder all at the same yes, time. Both at the same time. For sure. I think it takes a different kind of mindset, right? You, do, yeah, you don't have yeah. that. You don't have that. Okay, I'm I'm an engineer. I'm just going to glue these things together and try to figure it out. Now you actually have to think, okay, what is the business process workflow around a function within the company and how now, how do I protect that? So it, it takes a little bit different uh, mindset, but less uh, coding and, and, and that kind of thinking. We're coming back to the human aspect again, that element of it for sure. It's no longer, hey, let's take a look at the devices and count those and see what we need to do to to button down the the network or anything like that. It's like, hey, look at this human being over here. And what is their purpose? Who should they be talking to electronically? What data should they have access to? And what data do they want to have access to? Because all of those have different answers that determine the approach that we have to take. And different risk points from where they're accessing that data. Are they are they using their work device? Then they have this different uh, things that they have access to. If they're using their home device and just checking, you know, email, you know, maybe that's okay, depending on your risk profile. So there's, there's different ways. That it's not only the per it's the person, it's where they are, what they're accessing. If, if, uh, you know, Steve is all of a sudden connecting from, uh, Ireland or, uh, Syria, there's a, there's a problem potentially if he was just in the office a few days ago. Let's talk about that for a minute here, because I'd like, I always like to look at this from the reverse side here. We all, we talk about the, the bring your own device, the BYOD, but now that's even more prevalent with remote workforce, because when the pandemic hit, they weren't really given the proper tools to do so, at least from a cybersecurity perspective. And most of them are using, I think it was something like, when I say most, I mean more than half. I think it was something like 62% that I saw are using personal laptops, a personal phone, everything else to, to perform their business function, you know, all the way from a secretary up to a CEO. And 
I look at it, you know, that's great. You know, our job is to protect the business that uh, is our clients. But I also like to look at it from the reverse side too. You know, what are the dangers and the inherent risks to that person as a consumer? All of a sudden, connecting their home, their personal device to a co- to a company network. What does that expose yeah. them to? Yeah, I mean, and in fact, what it uh, not only now, but it was it was always security awareness training was always a difficult thing to teach people. Even though um, people want to do the right thing, they always try to figure out a way around what their the controls are. Right. So even if you train them a certain way around how the things you should do around your corporate device, it was different. But if you showed them how to be safe at home and themselves, they carry that into the workplace. So, you know, we, we ultimately, you protect the person, you expose them to what the risks are that they're, that what their regular activities are doing. They're going to bring that naturally into the company, uh, company culture as well. And that's how you build a a secure uh, culture. But that being said, they're now under a different kind of attack now because they're at home. I think honestly, most small businesses and the MSPs that we're serving them did a pretty good job of handling that situation about shifting to work from home. I think the ones that I actually were hurting are really uh, enterprises and public sector companies. Those larger firms uh, had a much more difficult time getting their hand around the the work from home uh, situation than I think most of uh, the companies that we we deal with are at. Sure. It's a larger liability just for the sheer number of exposure points that exist. You know, it's to, if you're talking about 20 employees versus 20,000 employees, there's a lot more risk of exposure. Absolutely. I love your approach with that because if there can be education or show or expose the general consumer to what they're facing now or what they face in everyday life, I love one of my f- most favorite tips that I always give to everybody from a consumer perspective is listen, freeze all three of your credit reports back to the identity portion that we were talking about, that going into the holiday season, you know, or really any time of the year, it doesn't matter. If you're going to apply for credit, that's fine. Unfreeze it right then and there, and you can download an app on your phone for all three credit bureaus, and then just freeze and unfreeze at will when you need to. So nobody has access to your report when you don't allow it. Definitely. And then when you get in that psychology too, you can carry that over to what you do with work. It just naturally happens. It's pretty cool. Right. I love that, man. So, dude, you took a bike riding at the beginning of this year, right? I did. <laughs> did I see this? <laughs> I did, yes. It was my way of getting out of the house a little bit in the beginning. Plus, uh, you know, I was, you know, in 2019, uh, I joined a, a CrossFit gym. Uh, I, I got into, you know, pretty good shape, probably the best shape of my life. Um, I was also doing a lot of travel in 19. But I, uh, at the end of 19, you know, I'm getting a little older, back hurts. It's a little bit hard on your joints. Uh, I want to take it a little bit easier and, and find something else. And then the pandemic hit. So the gym's closed down. So I was like, all right, I'll buy a bike. I wanted to do that for a while. So I took up bike riding and it's, it actually ended up being pretty cool because it allowed me to do two things that got out of the house, clear my head, ride along the Hudson river and, you know, see the sights. Um, and, uh, then I actually turned it into like, I, I, I grabbed a little mini camera, a little video camera, took it with me. And, uh, I, you know, did little recordings here and there, you know, sometimes business, sometimes not put it up on my social. And that was just our way of communicating, keep in touch with clients, uh, as well. You know, I thought of a client, I re-recorded something, I'd email it to them. 
and uh, they they appreciated it because ultimately uh, we were we're in a peer group, and one of the things that we were early on we were talking about is you know keeping touch with your clients, understanding where they are, how their businesses are doing, etc. Something we were doing anyway, but it was especially more important now understanding where they are ultimately because it's going to help you, right? Because if you identify a customer that is uh, weakened by the current situation, it might uh, identify uh, some, some things that you may have be able to, uh, to deal with it head on, but allowed us to stay connected. And, and otherwise that maybe we wouldn't have uh, otherwise. And it was, it was very, very helpful. So, you know, definitely some business outcome of it, but Mostly it was for my own mental sanities to, to, to kind of just get out, move my body uh, and, uh, and see something and, and, and get some fresh air. That's really cool. You still riding? Uh, it's getting a little cold in the Northeast. So it's, uh, <laughs> I feel you. I'm in Chicago. Yeah. Right. So is yeah. it a Peloton now? Is that the direction you're going to go? <laughs> no, I actually started doing some more, uh, you know, more body weight exercise kind of stuff at home. And uh, we bought a, gift for the kids so there's a big gym that's going to be installed in the basement pretty awesome soon. yeah so we're gonna we're gonna try to you know the, the boys all want to get into better shape too so it's a, it's a it's a good thing that's really cool that's awesome my yeah. man last thing i, I want to th- you had a, a book that you were a part of it was a collaboration book right on thin ice yes that's correct yeah we did a collaboration with 30 other uh it and cybersecurity guys uh and gals uh, and each chapter was on a different topic. Uh, some were vertical sp- specific, some were, uh, to our discussion before, you know, how to s- protect your kids. You know, there was lots of different things that weren't necessarily just geared towards business owners. Um, and then the chapter I wrote, which is the last chapter in the book, uh, is about security frameworks and the importance of that in building a security program in a company. It's how we, we build our security programs for our clients is that, you know, we start with the framework and we build our program outside from that. And that's how we gauge where they are and what their, um, their path should be. And uh, the, the main, uh, obviously the main reason for the book was to get exposure and get information out there, but it's also to help with, uh, you know, marketing and sales. Oh, sure. It's credibility, right? And authority <laughs> for sure. You ever going to do your own piece, your entire own work? Yes, yeah. that's in the works. Yeah, we have uh, I have two uh, that I'm working on. Um, one is more geared towards uh, specifically small investment firms, uh, which is our most our bigger target market. Uh, sec the second one, which is a longer term thing uh, and a little bit more daunting, is actually a, a little bit of a work of fiction in the cybersecurity realm. Oh, fun! Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I can't wait to see that one, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Rafi, I've really enjoyed our conversation, man. We, we I feel Me like too. we've only scratched the surface, but yet we got some real good depth to a lot of things too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. <laughs> awesome, my man. Thanks, brother, for coming on. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.